is an associate professor of security studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. The developments in the past few weeks have created a new momentum in India-Myanmar relations as New Delhi assertively turns towards the Bay of Bengal and Southeast Asia by executing an ambitious neighborhood-first policy, keeping in mind, of course, the much larger geopolitical game around the Indo-Pacific. As India struggles to cope with China's rising influence in the region, its regional strategy seems to be focused on countries like Myanmar and Bangladesh. While New Delhi needs Myanmar's help in balancing China for its maritime grand strategy, Myanmar is also keeping a safe distance from Beijing. Myanmar is widely seen by India as a partner in tackling the insurgencies along the eastern border and in helping India with its activist policy. The high point of this relationship was when the armies of India and Myanmar carried out a three-week-long coordinated operation in May 2019, targeting militant groups operating in Manipur, Nagaland, and Assam. To discuss this very promising and dynamic bilateral relationship, I have with me former Indian Ambassador to Myanmar, Ambassador Gautam Mukhopadhyaya. So welcome to the National Security Conversation, Ambassador Mukhopadhyaya. Thank you. Um, you know, on the 4th of uh, October this year, a very high-profile Indian delegation, including the Chief of Army Staff and the Foreign Secretary, visited Myanmar for a two-day visit. And Foreign, Foreign Secretary Shringla was quoted by the Indian media, and I quote, despite the challenges caused by the COVID pandemic, uh, we are working towards operationalizing the city airport by the first quarter of next year. You know, coming on the heels of the recent enthusiasm that we've been seeing on Indo-Pacific and the Quad, do you think Myanmar will play a key role in India's maritime grand strategy as it were? Uh, yes. You know, actually a lot of things uh, sort of seem to fall into place after the fact. Uh, I'm not so sure how much has, of this is, is uh, planned in advance or actually conceptualized like that. Uh, you know, Sitwe Port is something that has been on the works for quite a long time. Uh, it has been ready, actually, also for a long time. So it's now being operationalized. Uh, and of course, Sitwe Port is supposed to play a fairly important part in our maritime connectivity uh, with, uh, yeah. with, with uh, Myanmar. And we want to the Taradan to the northeast. And also, it could play a very important role in the coastal trade. Uh, you know, if you go back, if you remember... Uh, during the British uh, colonial period, uh, Sitwe used to be Akyab, and Akyab was one of the ports dotting the Bay of Bengal and the Andaman Sea, uh, you know, radiating out of, of Kolkata, uh, and, a, you know, an, an important sort of point in the Bay of Bengal trade. So um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, the, the operationalization of Sitwe is really related to the resumption of the maritime connectivity, not just with Yangon, which is already a little weak because we don't have a direct shipping service, but perhaps at a little more uh, modest level because, you know, Sitwe port is not a very large port. Uh, so more suitable for, you know, supplies to Rakhine for the maritime connectivity between Kolkata and other ports of the East Coast to, uh, to uh, Sitwe and beyond that. Uh, so it will play a supplementary role. I think Yangon will always be a much more major and an international port. 
Yes, I mean, you, you are right. Much of this analysis is happening in a, in a post-facto sense of the term. Uh, but Myanmar really is the only um, ASEAN country neighboring India. It also sort of falls in the intersection of South and Southeast Asia. So to that extent, from a grand strategic point of view, um, how should India, I mean, you've been the ambassador there, how should India sort of utilize this uh, geopolitically crucial location uh, of Myanmar as it were? I think once again, it's very important to put it in perspective. You know, Myanmar is undoubtedly a launching pad or a springboard uh, for, our, uh, for our direct connectivity, including surface connectivity and maritime connectivity to the ASEAN in general, the greater Bye. Mekong sub-region of the ASEAN in particular. And I would say that there are actually three vectors to that. One is the land connectivity, which we have been working on for some time. But uh, again, which is you know, well short of, I, I would say, a major, uh, ma major takeoff point, uh, you know, in terms of commercial and uh, even strategically. Sitway port, you know, to put it in perspective, is really not a very large port. I mean, you know, the, the kind of vessels it can take are not very large volume. In fact, just south of Sitway, you have Chofu, where the Chinese have made very large investments, uh, which is actually a natural deep sea harbor. So, you know, if at all any port could serve a much grander purpose, the sort that you're thinking of, it would have been uh, Chofu. But, you know, Chofu is not available to, to us. Uh, but, you know, in terms of a much greater connectivity, uh, actually, there are two other ports that would serve a, a bigger purpose. One is, of course, Yangon. You know, Yangon is a bit mm -hmm. inland in the Ayyavadi, in mm -hmm. the Delta, but it connects to the major arterial uh, highways, you know, leading on to Thailand. Uh, and another one which we have not yet looked at uh, very closely, I think, and I think we should, but, you know, it's sort of fallen between various tools, is the way, the way which was the old Tavoy. And right. I had the idea some years back, and they actually uh, invested quite a lot in it, into to developing a kind of transshipment port at the way. And also the Myanmar have uh, announced and, uh, you know, have started work on a special economic zone. Initially, it was supposed to be a Myanmar-Thai collaboration. Uh, they were not able to reach financial closure for various reasons. And, you know, those reasons are also quite important. And, um, and I think subsequently the Japanese have shown interest. So I would say that, you know, in terms of much greater connectivity, I would look at the way as a strategic port, which would connect, uh, uh, you know, very close, you know, from, from the way it's not very far to, to Bangkok. So it would connect to sort of a major commercial artery. And on this side to Chennai, uh, the way is about the same latitude as, as uh, Chennai, and it would be also be crossing through your more or less Andaman uh, island chain. So strategically, I would say uh, the way is a much more potentially interesting port, an attractive port, but not yet achieved a kind of viability. And I don't think India has also looked at it seriously. I think it's something worth looking at. Uh, Chofu is there, but I think Chofu's uh, use is not as a transshipment port because there are other connectivity issues involved. But Chofu could play a role for China for connectivity to, to Yunnan. Uh, Sitwe will have a much more secondary role, mm. uh, you know, much more in terms of uh, coastal and northeast, uh, the, the coastal and northeast connectivity. Right. I mean, you know, not, not specifically about uh, Sitwe port, but in general, I think um, uh, there seems to be a certain amount of uh, reawakening, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in the Indian strategic consciousness about. Uh, about about Myanmar. I mean, on, on the one hand, of course, the Indian uh, neighbor, India's neighborhood policy has been facing some 
uh, backlash in the past. Uh, if you if you look at India's neighborhood relations, so to that extent, perhaps um, the relations with Myanmar is um, is is to 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 that extent uh, going very solid. Um, but what is is that the only reason uh, that makes Myanmar special in India's sort of uh, strategic vision, or other other? I mean, from from a um, say recent historical perspective, what makes Myanmar uh, special for India? Okay, uh, I think you spoke about you know a kind of reawakening of the strategic significance of uh, Myanmar. Uh, well, I'm, I suspect it's been latent; it's always been there. But I, mm. I agree with you that there seems to be suddenly a kind of a fresh uh, 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 appreciation of its uh, importance, and its importance is uh, you know should not be underestimated. It's uh, perhaps the largest country in the Greater Mekong Sam region, and among mm. the largest if we leave out indonesia uh, in uh, in the asean uh, it is uh, you know extremely rich in terms of natural resources uh, it has obviously got a very strategic significance vis-a-vis -vis, uh, china as the one major country that falls between the northeast of india and the southwest of, of china yunnan uh, and of course it is your direct you know gateway to uh, uh, to the rest of the greater mekong sub region uh, Thailand principally, but also a direct connectivity to Laos. And if you use that connectivity, uh, or even through Thailand, then there is the Mekong, which can take you down, you know, down the Mekong all the way up to uh, Saigon. But you know, there are actually potentially there are routes that you could take from Laos directly to Hanoi and Haiphong as well. So mm -hmm. strategically, I think Myanmar has an immense value, and it not, should not only be seen by in terms of Myanmar alone. I think we should see it in terms of the entire connectivity between the Bay of Bengal and uh, the, 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 what, what we might call the Pacific Ocean or, uh, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, the South China Sea or you know, right. like Indo-Pacific. But, right. I mean, all conceptually, you know, in terms of actually things on the ground, I'm not aware of uh, any great strategic vision in that direction. There are some loose uh, terminology that have, you know, have been talked about in the past, but in some ways, the act East is uh, animated and born out of that as well. Right. You know, um, you, you, you've been a former practitioner, now an analyst. Um, do you think there are fundamental differences in the in, in the manner in which the UPA governments, uh, one and two uh, from 2004 to um, uh, 14, approached Myanmar and how the NDA is looking at and approaching uh, or, and, and, and nurturing its relationship with uh, Myanmar? Are there fundamental differences? Uh, there are some differences, and I'll come to that. But I think first I would like to establish the continuity. Uh, you know, the fact mm -hmm. of the matter is that the Lukis policy was, you know, first sort of uh, launched and conceptualized by Prime Minister Narasimha Rao. And there has been a continuity mm -hmm. uh, in the Lukis policy uh, until uh, effectively the, the, the UPA, uh, the, the NDA government has uh, come into power, uh, you know, the second NDA government. Uh, so there is a lot of continuity. Maybe the, you know, the... There were a number of, you can call it impediments or just things that held it back. Some of it was, you know, this simply the opening up of Myanmar. The opening up of Myanmar was a gradual process that started in the late 90s. We had to work through the military regime that had been very reserved, a government that had been very insular and, you know, uh, and defensive. Uh, but I think all that has changed. So I think partly there have been just conditions that have facilitated a much more open environment. And let's uh, understand. You know, once uh, uh, Uthain Sen, the previous president, 
uh, opened up uh, one of the first countries that he visited to. So it is not on uh, one side only. One of the first countries, uh, foreign countries that he visited to was India. And that visit was reciprocated by uh, Prime Minister Manmohan Singh. And that sort of set off a process. But I would say that there are some, uh, you know, there's a kind of uh, slightly sharper uh, with uh, the Actis policy under, under the NDA 2. Uh, that sharper vision has two, three elements. I think a much greater appreciation of the, uh, the Indian origin uh, PIO community in, you know, in these places. Uh, much greater appreciation of the cultural connect and the civilizational connect and also, I would say, the, the, the religious connect with these areas and uh, a, 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 a sharper sense of mission, uh, kind of, you know, levels, the number of initiatives that are coming, a, 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 a greater energy. There's a, there was a tendency uh, in the past for things to sort of happen and roll along, but now you get a sense that there is an effort to drive the process. Ambassador, it's uh, interesting that you spoke about the cultural, religious, civilizational connect that India shares with the um, you know, eastern part of Asia, as it were. Uh, and now there is a, a strategic underpinning, uh, a larger strategic underpinning to uh, its relationship with the uh, eastern part of Asia. The trouble, um, I think, is that in the in the discussions um, about civilizational, religious, cultural, and strategic uh, um, sort of issues, sometimes we, we tend to forget the economic aspect of it. Uh, now, if you, if you look at uh, the uh, Indian engagement uh, economically with the region, it's, it's uh, not all that robust uh, compared to that of, that of China, clearly. And even more importantly, the uh, India refused to be part of the uh, Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. Um, so, in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my own feeling is that uh, up to a point, the cultural, civilizational, religious connect and uh, the strategic uh, desires will help. But, uh, uh, you know, beyond that, it is, it is money that speaks. It's the economic partnership that, uh, that speaks. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I agree that this is a, 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 weak, a weak point. Uh, a, a weak point and also even the cultural uh, and civilizational connect can be easily overplayed. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, it, is, it has to be all used very sensitively. It should be never something that is underlined. We should not forget that there were always antecedent and unique elements, uh, even in the synthesis uh, in which, uh, uh, you know, Indian civilization had a part. And we should also not forget that since then, in many ways, those Indian influences have been driven down to the foundation. They are foundational, but they are not necessarily now so uh, apparent, visible, even uh, even realized very often by, uh, because I think everything has become indigenized. You know, there's the sense that influences right. have become uh, absorbed and uh, uh, local and, and native. But you are absolutely right. I think what has happened is these are areas which is very, it's cost-free uh, to emphasize, but where it really matters is the economy. And on the economy, our performance, you know, if you bandy figures, they can look reasonably good. But if you look inside, uh, we are uh, really, we haven't put the money uh, where the mouth is. And I think more than that, it is also to do with uh, imagination and strategies mm. and, uh, you know, how to go about it. You see, I don't think any of this is for lack of uh, desire, uh, but I don't think we have got uh, the act together uh, just in terms of... Uh, how to go about and doing this. What is that extra step that India, you know, should take or could take that we did not take that could have, uh, that could have, uh, um, that could have lifted this to a more 
meaningful level. And I, I think everybody uh, observes and realizes that in some senses, we have tended to underperform in that department. Yeah. One point, Abhimon, just on the last point, I think one other big difference between the UPA period and the NDA period has been the, the presence and the salience of China in the last few mm. years, particularly, I would say, even in the last six years. Of the, of Absolutely. The so, you know, that's a new factor that I think has also shaped uh, our responses. I would not exaggerate that because it's not like, you know, we, uh, it's not like China has never been there. It's always been there. And it's not like uh, we have suddenly realized that it is there. Uh, at, but China's presence has expanded greatly, particularly uh, during the Xi Jinping period in China and also the BRI and various other uh, initiatives. So in that context, we mentioned China. Um, so how strong do you think um, is the defense partnership between India and, India and Myanmar? I mean, there has been a, uh, definitely there has been a major growth in the defense partnership between India and Myanmar. But how realistic uh, is it to assume that um, uh, Myanmar will come on board in a bigger way um, um, on board as far as India's Indo-Pacific uh, strategy is concerned, India's um, Act East policy is concerned, defying Chinese objections as it were. China yeah. is a major player. So what's, what's, what should be our realistic approach in sort of understanding this? Okay, you know, uh, on, on, uh, on, on China um, and defense partnership, I think let's uh, acknowledge two, three things. One is that, you know, Myanmar's primary defense partners uh, it has, have been uh, Russia, China, to some extent, Israel. So, you know, that's the kind of given. We are lately's. Uh, we are, you know, Johnny come lately's to the... Yeah. Uh, we are not a great defense equipment or a defense uh, player, uh, you know, uh, worldwide in general. We are not a yeah. major order of defense equipment. So, taking all these factors into consideration, I think the fact that we have become a defense partner and the fact that our defense relationship and our security relationship has grown in trust and confidence. I think primarily it is where it is in the growth of trust and confidence between the Indian and Myanmar security forces that the real story is. And uh, uh, so a, a little bit of the cooperation that we are doing in terms of, let's say, equipment or training uh, and diplomacy uh, goes a much longer way. Um, you know, there is a tendency... Uh, second, second fact that I think is very important is that Myanmar has always had its deeply grain, ingrained tradition of neutrality. You know, until the British came, uh, mm. they mm. considered mm. themselves an imperial power in their own right. Uh, you know, they uh, they had ex military expeditions to the eastern India, on the one hand, northeastern mm. India, and on the other hand, they resisted, uh, you know, all kinds of Qing intrusions uh, yeah, into China. Um, in in the 19th, 18th, 18th, and uh, even 19th century, and so this neutrality is a very high, and the Tamado is a very nationalistic uh, force in the sense that it is very committed to defending uh, its mm -hmm. national boundaries and so on. So uh, I would be a little, um, I would be a little wary of. Um, this is, again goes back historically, you know, efforts, the United States made big efforts to drag, uh, uh, you know, Myanmar into then Seattle, but mm -hmm. even, the, the UNU, even the UNU government at that time sort of, uh, resisted it. So I would be very wary of uh, Myanmar getting roped into, 
you know, if, if you're loosely talking about some kind of uh, extended or a loose alliance, mm. Uh, mm. but they mm. will take care of their interests. And mm. when it takes, mm. come, comes to taking care of their interests, you know, they will uh, use what is available for them to be able to uh, take care of interests, their interests without falling into a kind of, uh, uh, you know, alliance. And I wish you would think that this defense and security relationship is related more to our, you know, security issues uh, on the frontiers and the Bay of Bengal, uh, by and large like that. And on the Indo-Pacific strategy, it is more uh, what we can do economically. That's an interesting um, uh, point, Ambassador. Um, I, 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 from what you're saying, the feeling that I'm getting is that it is important to sort of uh, read Myanmar correctly. It is important to sort of understand their interests and try and, uh, you know, uh, navigate our own interests in sort of line with uh, the, the interests of the, of the Myanmar uh, uh, government, as it were. But, you know, uh, tell us a little, little more about the um, uh, Sino-Myanmar relations, as it were. I mean, it's not all hunky-dory, as it were. Recently, I read um, a spokesperson of the Myanmar's military accused China of arming rebel groups um, uh, within within Myanmar. So um, it's, it's not all, 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 all a rosy picture, as it were. So how should we, sitting in Delhi, view this relationship? And traditionally, China has been a supplier to uh, Myanmar. It continues to be. It continues to develop ports in Myanmar. It does a lot of things in Myanmar. So looking at it from Delhi, uh, how should we view this complicated relationship uh, or rather complex relationship between Myanmar and China? You see, um, Myanmar has had an uneasy relationship with uh, China, particularly when it's been a little aggressive uh, mm. for some time now. You know, if it goes back to the China, you know, the, the to the to the uh, uh, to the World War, and when uh, the the the, the, the uh, when the you know when Chiang Kai Shek's uh, forces actually took refuge there, then you had you know the period of uh, where there was this anti kind of foreign anti Indian anti Chinese, there were anti China riots. Mm -hmm. uh, the Chinese government acted uh, quite reacted quite strongly. Then there was that entire period when the uh, China supported the Burmese Communist Party. After that, uh, uh, you know, they had been, uh, you know, uh, they have been uh, unofficially, or at least reports that they have been supporting some of the uh, ethnic armed organizations. Uh, so. And particularly during that period of insularity, and when it came under pressure after the post-democracy, uh, you know, agitations, uh, uh, there was a sense that um, Myanmar was falling into Chinese uh, hands, and this attempt to kind of loosen that grip and you know diversify relations and even balance relations goes back actually to Than Shui's time. I mean, the entire mm -hmm. overture that took place around the turn of the millennium. On our side, it was the Lukis policy. On their side, it was uh, a desire to, you know, uh, to balance. Uh, and even post-2011 in the much larger diplomatic outreach to the international community under the USDP government, they reach out to the US, to the West, to Japan, uh, to the so-called, you know, uh, in, uh, industrialized uh, Western alliance uh, was, to some extent, undoubtedly, uh, whether it is said or not, and, uh, and the Myanmar don't like to uh, 
make this very explicit for various reasons. Even in the comment that you mentioned, they did not actually mention China. They just said strong powers. Uh, right. So, the, 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 undoubtedly, this played a, a role uh, in that. So, I think India has to find its place. Uh, you know, mm. within kind of mm. uh, in a in a in a situation where uh, a Myanmar is concerned about its sovereignty and integrity. Number one, number two is uneasy about a lot of Chinese influence, pressure. Uh, activities, including those with ethnic armed organizations and within the economy. Uh, uh, and as I said, you know, the Bama in particular uh, have a very strong sense of their nationality and their, and their mm -hmm. sense of uh, mm -hmm. uh, independence. Uh, yeah. They had a very strong imperial tradition after all when this happened. So uh, we'll have to find our place uh, within this. Of course, we, we will keep trying to expand uh, that space as much as possible, so that you know it's our, in our interest to have a friendly periphery. Uh, in our, right. Uh, I mean, I think while we may be content with a neutral, we would not like an unfriendly uh, periphery, and that holds true for Myanmar as well. And I think Myanmar's thinking is in exactly the same lines. My own feeling, looking at uh, um, the the assertions and the policies um, in the UPA period and in the NDA period, my own feeling is that there seems to be uh, there there were more concerns raised in the Indian political and strategic community about uh, human rights concerns in Myanmar than say uh, compared to today. Um, but be that as it may, the question is, how does a country like India, faced with the rise of a giant in the neighborhood, which is China, uh, balance human rights concerns um, and strategic interests? Um, because beyond the point, as you said, this is, this is a very um, uh, fiercely independent uh, sort of a country. Uh, at best, you can what you can ask for is neutrality. Um, so if you were to talk uh, a lot about human rights issues, it's going to uh, impact the relationship negatively. Um, uh, and, and you go to sort of take care of the strategic interests. So how do you sort of balance? As in a, India has been a cham champion of... Um, 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 human rights um, in all over the world, certainly in the neighborhood. So as a practitioner, as a thinker, how do you sort of approach this sort of a dilemma? As well? No, I've also spent some time in the Human Rights Commission and the third committee of the UN, so I, I know a bit about this. See, um, there is a difference. I mean, in the past, uh, what India would do would be, uh, would express concern, uh, would support, you know, in a positive way to try and uh, what they call a, a, you know, a kind of positive or a constructive approach and would show a certain even-handedness between, let's say, the victims and the perpetrators. Uh, I think that sort of thing has been kind of sacrificed to yeah, possibly yeah, to be yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, is really something, a function of uh, real politic as well. Uh, when the stakes rise high, um, uh, you know, it, it's uh, such concerns tend to Tend to be tend to be underplayed, uh, mm. and I think India is no exception uh, to that. But I don't think you know. I think it's very important to also flag. I think the primary issue that you're talking about, uh, we've never really taken up. When we used to take up, um, let's say, human rights issues, they concern, let's say, the Chins who are kindred to the Cookies and Mizos in the Northeast because they were affected, or they concerned. They very rarely concerned what was happening in Shan or Kachin, uh, for that mm. matter. And in this particular case, I think you're referring in particular to Rohingya. Rohingya. Yeah, yeah. 
And if you're referring to the Rohingya, you know exactly what is the climate uh, in India for that. I mean, uh, the climate in India is also not very sympathetic or, or, or receptive to Rohingya. So where is the question of uh, India, you know, sort of brandishing the human rights flag on behalf of the Rohingyas on the one hand. Um, but at the same time, India is very conscious that, you know, the Rohingya issue is a very sensitive issue for Bangladesh. And our relations with Bangladesh on the whole are, a, you know, are, are, a, are of a different order virtually. If you see the size of the country, the population, the level of our economic relationship, the political, uh, you know, intensity of our uh, relationship and all that. So I don't think, you know, even from a real politic point of view, this is not something that we can uh, utterly abandon. So it will always be in our interest to, to try and to, 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 to uh, ameliorate uh, this particular condition. Um, and I think that was very clear in the Foreign Secretary's remark, where he talks about we remain committed to an early, safe and sustainable return of in, internally displaced people from uh, Bangladesh back to Myanmar. Right, you know, so in, in, in some ways, therefore, the uh, the plight of the Rohingyas is not just a human rights concern for India, if I may say so. It is also um, a national security uh, issue. If Myanmar continues to, I mean, let's be, let's, let's, let's uh, call it what it is. If Myanmar continues to mistreat the Rohingyas, extremist tendencies might originate in, in sections of the community who are present in India as well. Um, so, and that would, that, would, that would potentially pose a national security problem for India. So India must seek, uh, actively seek a solution to the um, uh, Rohingya issues for the sake of its own national security. Uh, uh, would you agree with that? I would agree, but not so much direct. Uh, you know, I think there is a tendency to perhaps uh, exaggerate the Rohingya threat uh, to Indian security or, or whatever that is. But I think indirectly, yes, because... Um, you know, to the extent that this impacts on on Bangladesh and to, and indirectly to India, I think there is a there is a, a, a connect. Having said that, I should also say that you know, look at all the other countries that did uh, involve themselves on the in trying to speak up for the Rohingya and protect the Rohingya and so on. You know, apart from the OIC, which has taken uh, the Myanmar government to the ICC. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's very difficult to point, you know, whether China has done anything. If anything, China has shielded uh, yeah. Myanmar Security Council. The West has not been able to push it beyond a point. ASEAN has not been able to do much, to, even though it is directly connected. And a lot of the Rohingya refugees have actually taken shelter there. Saudi Arabia is another country which has been affected, but we don't hear its voice very loud on this subject. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah I, unfortunately, the Rohingya are a very hapless uh, and very poor people. And, you know, um, there is a, quite a lot of lip service. But in terms of what anyone has done for the Rohingya, I can only think of Bangladesh, which has accepted the burden of uh, close to 750,000 Rohingya on their territory. What should be India's, and that's my last question, what should be India's policy towards uh, the Rohingyas. Um, I mean, you said Bangladesh is the country that has done a lot. How do you evaluate uh, India's uh, response to this sort of humanitarian disaster? I think, you know, I think one should step into these issues which are very sensitive, very thorny, uh, only when one feels, and you know, this is something that you should understand, that you can have a, you can provide a viable solution. Uh, I think classic case was China. You know, China took an 
an, you know, an activist step at the first instant, but just simply didn't go anywhere. I think India has been wise not to step in, but I think India is trying to play and would be, uh, would be, you know, a, a very quiet behind the scenes role in, you know, trying to uh, mit to mitigate this problem. Even I would think that if there is any group of countries that could actually, uh, because you know they also their populations reflect the mix of Myanmar's population, it would be the ASEAN. Uh, but again, in the ASEAN, it's been mainly NGO and civil society groups that have been very active. And uh, some governments have spoken up, but it just shows the difficulty of addressing this issue because, uh, you know, fact and imagination have got very, uh, very inextricably uh, intertwined uh, in this issue. So it's actually something that really, frankly, should be discussed between Bangladesh and Myanmar with anybody else playing a, 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 you know, a kind of secondary role or supportive role, because ultimately the issue as far as Myanmar is concerned is that they are, you know, Bengali migrants. And the issue for Bangladesh is, is they are not, they are indigenous. And the Rohingyas, of course, now think of themselves as, as indigenous. So primarily it's something that uh, needs to be uh, addressed by them and any other country that can play a positive role. And I think, uh, you know, behind the scenes, uh, we must be doing that. But, but, let, but let me approach that question slightly differently. Um, India has had a tradition of empathetically dealing with refugees and accommodating uh, refugees in the past, but you don't see that empathy um, in the recent past. Um, do you think India as a country, um, the Indian state, uh, should be more empathetic to the plights of uh, plight of uh, uh, these hapless refugees, as it were? You are right. Uh, I, I would say, yes, you're right in that particular characterization. And I would say that India should be more, uh, could be more active. Uh, I'm not saying should because, you know, obviously there are certain other uh, realist and real politic considerations that you yourself have articulated uh, earlier. Um, you know, ultimately every country is looking after its interests and its interests uh, tend to be primary. Uh, and uh, I think that is what we are seeing. No, sorry, just to end on this note, um, there, there is a difference between uh, interfering in the domestic affairs of Myanmar and, and calling out Myanmar on human rights issues, on the mistreatment meted out to the Rohingyas on the one hand, and accommodating the hapless refugees who come knocking at India's doors. These are clearly yes. two different things. Doing the latter, we don't have any... Would, if, I, if I had a say in the matter, uh, I would say that we should have a much more... Uh, uh, much more uh, sympathetic uh, policy towards uh, towards persecuted refugees, uh, in keeping with our past traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'm only explaining to you, you know, the circumstances in which that hasn't happened. Uh, there are some things that I don't need to mention. I think you know it very well. Yeah. But um, uh, yes, I would say that that tradition of uh, providing refuge to persecuted peoples of any religion from any part of the world has been a peculiarly strong Indian tradition. You, from where you come from, you know that it started with the, the Jews and it followed with the Christians and subsequently, you know, uh, there were others that have taken refuge all over India, Armenians, uh, yeah. and everyone. So I think this is a very strong tradition in India, a tradition that we should uh, 
preserve and protect uh, and be proud of and we we were proud of even though we were not signatories to the you know the convention on refugees so yes i there's nothing to disagree with that i agree with you great insights about from mogopadhyay wonderful talking to you thank you so much for coming on the show my pleasure thank you for listening to this podcast if you like this podcast please rate and follow us for regular updates you can also follow our twitter handle nsc with hj or our facebook page national security conversations with happymon jacob